Thank you for listening to the Writers Guild of Alberta podcasts. The following episode was recorded in 2020 as part of the WGA's online reading series, sponsored by the Rosé Foundation. The audio quality may differ from recording to recording. We want to thank the authors and hosts for their permission to share these audio-only episodes with you, and thank the Rosé Foundation again for their generous support. Hi, hello everyone, and welcome to this online reading session today, made possible by the Writers Guild of Alberta and with the support of the Rosa Foundation. I have the honor and the privilege to be here today with someone that I consider really amazing. But before I introduce her, because we're going to be talking about her the whole night, let me introduce myself. My name is Oye Odi. I'm an educator. And because of that, I've authored a book titled A Mother's Love. Plus, I'm also a podcast host where I share information, useful information for parents and families. If you check out my website, you find a few articles that I've written in the blog post session. And this, all of this I do just because of the love that I have for families. It's interesting for me today to be talking to an author that has done amazing work. And like I said, there's a proper introduction about Joan, but before I even get there, I have a personal experience with her. A couple of weeks ago, we were chatting and it was such a warm and friendly conversation. She was so humble. She was giving me tips and useful advice to steer me in the right direction for my writing and for the things that I want to do as regards um, writing books. Now imagine my shock when I finally realized that I had been speaking to an award-winning author. As a matter of fact, because the conversation was so interesting, we even went over the time that we had scheduled to meet for. Now this is the person that I'm going to be speaking with today and she's going to be sharing with us all the things that she's been doing so far. I'm going to now give a proper introduction about Jean Marie Gallot. She's the author of more than 20 award-winning books, including a Canadian national bestseller and titles translated into five languages. Her publishers include National Geographic Kids, Scholastic, Whitecap Books, and others. Joan loves to write about the topics that fascinate her, including interesting people, the natural world, and what you can see in the night sky. Book talks have taken Joan across Canada and from the Arctic Circle to Australia and the USA. In 2016, Joan spoke about the relationship between arts and our environment at the United Nations event in Seoul, South Korea. Lately, however, she has been delivering talks and workshops online. The recipient of numerous awards, Joan is a two-time recipient of the R. Ross Annette Award for Children's Literature, a Crystal Kite Award, and the Martha Weston Grant, awarded annually to one worldwide member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. When not writing books, Joan provides corporate training along with freelance writing and editing services, including query letter editing. 
Now, when I read that part about the Society of Children's Book Writers, uh, Writers and Illustrators, it just made me laugh because I'm also a member of that society and I'm thinking, oh my, this is indeed a wonderful fit that John has achieved. And so today we have the pleasure to have a Q&A session with John. And my first question for you today is very, very simple because when I think about the fact that you have so many books, um, you have released three books in 2020, Absolute Expert Space, which was out in May, and two titles this fall, Stars and the Story of Malala Yousafzai. As an author, I oftentimes think that um, fiction stories are easy to write, I might be wrong, but when I hear nonfiction, I cannot imagine the amount of work that goes into writing nonfiction. So my question is, what draws you to write nonfiction for children, Joan? Well, thank you for the question and thank you for the very warm introduction. I appreciate it. You know, it's funny, when I'm writing nonfiction, I get the feeling that fiction must be easier. <laughs> But when I'm trying to write fiction, I miss my nonfiction writing because I know what to do. Um, you know, lots of research, look things up, rearrange the words, simplify, and, you know, always thinking about my target audience. But the reason I, I guess I like to write nonfiction so much is because I love to read it. I, I love stories and I, you know, I read a lot of novels, but the books that I return to and the books that I I buy and the shelves that I linger around. It's always nonfiction. So I, they say you should write what you like to read. And you know, when you take on a writing project, you're spending a lot of time with it. You really want to have a topic that you care about or something that you're interested in because otherwise it's hard to see it through because it's, it is a lot of work. So that's, that's why I write nonfiction because I guess I'm, it's what I like to read, but it's also because I'm curious. I always want to know why. I want to know how things work. And spending time with the nonfiction topics gives me a chance to look those things up and get the answers I want to know. Mm -hmm. And then usually what happens is I, I get quite excited about a topic, like, um, you know, it could be nature, uh, trees, ecology, the night sky, astronomy. And I get so excited, I want everybody else to be excited too. And I, I go so far as to write a book to help talk people into liking what I like. It's absolutely interesting that you say that because I feel like if we did not have people like you writing nonfiction and in very simple terms, then we possibly wouldn't know so many of the things that we know now. And it's very interesting because I've got a book right here. And when I realized that you were the author of this book, I just had more respect. Um, the stories of the Aurora. Quite honestly, I'd never had about the Aurora before in my entire life. And then just about two years ago, um, we had to teach something about North America to my class. And then we had to get this book. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about the Aurora Lights. Until date, I don't think I've had any information from anywhere else but from this book. So I'm truly grateful that you have taken on that task of helping <laughs> us, you know. And, you know, I, I enjoy reading children's books because they're simplified. You can get information very quickly just by reading the books. And then they're so interesting to read. So thank you for taking on that task <laughs> of writing well, it's, fiction. It's my pleasure. I'm glad you discovered it. Now, now I hope you get to see the Northern Lights in the night sky. 
Oh, wow. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that's something I'll definitely be looking forward to. So you mentioned the book about Malala. And it's interesting because I think about four days ago, I was made to watch an episode of Sheets Creek. And in that episode, interestingly, two of the characters were having a conversation. And then one of the character goes, um, you're going to a school where Malala already gave a speech. And then the other character responds and says, I don't even know who he is. It was very interesting because you would think that everybody at least knows who Malala is, that she's a female. But seeing as that's not the case, I think that this book is very, very, very timely. And I've been privileged to read the story. So my question is, can you tell us a little bit about the book and the story of Malala and how much research and how much work you had to put in to turn out such an amazing book? I'm happy to share my screen and so you can see the book cover. Are you seeing that now? Yes, I am. I'm sure everyone else is too. Okay, there, now we. Okay, the story of Malala Yousafzai. This is a biography for ages six to eight. It describes how Malala's right to go to school was threatened by extremists and how she became an activist. Um, she was targeted and shot by the Taliban and she went on though to speak at the United Nations and win the Nobel Peace Prize. The book includes maps, it includes a timeline and a glossary as well as sidebars that are meant to spark conversation. Um, one of them is called Jump in the Think Tank and it's got questions like, would you feel if you couldn't do something just because you were a girl or a boy. Um, the book includes things like myths next to facts. For example, a myth would be that girls were never allowed to go to school in Pakistan, but the fact is that before the Taliban gained power, many girls were able to go to school. So I think you asked me, I've, I think you asked me what was it like to write this book? Is that right? I've lost you on my screen. Yes, I did. I wanted to know how much work you put in. Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? It, it was a challenge. Um, I, you know, I had to carefully introduce vocabulary. I had to, I had to explain words for which there's no synonym like, you know, extremist, the Taliban. Um, I had to be true to the story without leaving out the upsetting parts. But at the same time, I'm writing for very young children, so I had, you know, I had to be careful. I don't, I didn't want to upset my readers. I wanted them to keep reading. And, um, you know, for example, Malala was shot. So for that, for that part of the book, which was the most difficult to write, I, I was actually able just to tell the story the way it occurred, because what happened was after she was shot, she didn't remember anything else until she woke up in a hospital in England. And so I was able just to say the the extremists boarded her bus, they asked which one of you is Malala, and then Malala woke up in the hospital. So it's, it's understood what happened but it's, it's not something that I had to go into detail about. So it's, it is a challenge to write a book like this that has difficult information, but it's also important because these are real, you know, Malala is a real person with a real life and, and she's um, sadly not the only person who's, who's faced um, difficulties like this. So it's important to have books that introduce us to people Absolutely. in different parts of the world who have different experiences. And um, it, you know, it certainly helps us appreciate um, the opportunity to go to school that we have here in Canada. Sure. 
Sure. Um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I remember telling you that this ties in very strongly with um, what's happening back home in my country of origin, where, you know, um, people are sort of going through some difficulty. And then you ask yourself, just like I was doing when I read the story, when does someone decide to be a human rights activist? And indeed, the way the story was told, I can already see myself sitting in front of a group of children and telling them that story and listening to all the questions that follow. But it's so interesting, the progression of her life and how her parents realized, oh, I, I hope I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but I'm just <laughs> saying that it's such an interesting story, beautifully told. And I hear you when you say you have to be very careful with the words, because that's when the kids start getting confused as to oh, what are you talking about here? And if there's anyone listening to us right now, or even catching the replay, everything was broken down so that the children can get the message in the story. And that's what I really like about the work that's been done with Malala. So I'm wondering if you're going to share any excerpts from the book so that I, everyone I, can enjoy what I've enjoyed. I am, I'm going to read, I'm just gonna, I'm going to show a couple quick slides. Um, this is just the table of contents, just to have a glance inside the book and to give you an idea of, of what some of the pages look like. You can see that there's a map and there's a map with each chapter that shows where events are taking place. And there's also bolded words so that um, every you know readers know this word is in the vocabulary if the context isn't enough to make it understandable. So now I will read from the book from the story of Malala Yousafzai, a biography book for new readers. And I'm going to start on page 20 which is the rise of the Taliban. In Mingora, many people were illiterate. They could not read or write. The best way to reach them was through radio. Malana Fuzlala, an extremist leader, started a radio station. He said, women with too much freedom caused the earthquake. He blamed music, videos, and dancing too. Malala watched his followers set fire to TVs, CDs, and DVDs. Fazlullah said God would punish those who didn't listen. Malala asked her father if that was true. He told her Fazlullah was fooling people. Instead of throwing their TV away, her father hid it in a closet. The extremists destroyed statues, paintings, and even board games. One day, Fazlullah announced that girls should not go to school. Malala worried that she would be forced to spend her whole life inside. But her father made a decision. Even though it was dangerous, he would keep his schools open to boys and girls. Malala was nervous, but she continued to go to class. At night, the extremists began to destroy, to destroy schools. They attacked local police forces and took control of Mingora. The government sent troops to fight the extremists for a short time. Lala felt hopeful. Dreamus came back, now banning computers and books. On school days, Malala hid her books under her shawl. She kept her head down and hurried to class, hoping the extremists would not notice her. At night, Malala hid her books under her bed. She worried about what might happen next. The extremists joined forces with other militant groups. Now called the Pakistan Taliban, their power grew. More rules roared through the radio. Activists like Malala's father tried to stop the Taliban. He encouraged students to speak out. Some girls, including 11-year-old Malala, 
spoke out about peace and education on TV. Over time though, fewer fathers allowed their girls to do interviews on TV. The girls had reached the age for purda, the practice of concealing themselves from men. Malala was glad her father did not take away her freedom. One of Pakistan's biggest TV stations had invited her to appear. Malala realized her voice had power. Giving interviews gave her hope. Malala thought, if one man on the radio could cause so many problems, one girl should be able to make a change for the better. Now Malala was an activist too. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. And this is chapter six, the day everything changed. The more Malala spoke out, the more attention she received. The Taliban began to make threats against Malala. Her parents wondered if she should stop being an activist. Now 15 years old, Malala refused to quit. Still, she was nervous. Every night she made sure the doors and outdoor gate were locked. She prayed for a safer world. One day after school, Atal, her brother, was supposed to ride the school bus home with his sister, but decided to walk instead. Malala waited for the bus with her friends. She was enjoying their time together. They had just taken an exam and Malala felt good about her answers. When the bus arrived, Malala sat with her friend Moniba near the back. The bus turned at an army checkpoint. Usually there was traffic, but today the road seemed quiet. The bus pulled to a sudden stop. Malala could not see what was happening. Two men with guns had forced the bus to stop. They climbed aboard and asked which girl was Malala. No one spoke, but their eyes turned to Malala. And now I'm going to skip ahead and I'm going to share a part of the book near the end. It's called Our World. Malala's voice has helped make a difference in the world. Let's see some of the changes her work inspired. Thanks to Malala's activism, children and adults around the world are talking about children's education and looking for solutions. Malala has inspired others to share their stories, become activists and not give up. Kids are seeing that you can speak out no matter how old you are. Malala believes peace begins with one's own life. By forgiving the man who shot her, Malala is an inspiration to everyone who has suffered from another person's actions. Inspired by Malala, Gordon Brown, a United Nations envoy for global education started the Malala Petition. It asked the United Nations to recommit to its goal for all children to go to school. More than 3 million people signed the petition. This led Pakistan to pass a new law in 2012. It gives free education to children ages 5 to 16 in Pakistan. Oh, I think you're muted there. Apologies, I just didn't want to chip in when you were reading. <laughs> when I have so many things jumping at me. I mean, it's one thing to read a book. It's one thing to listen when a book is read. And as you were reading, there were so many things that, you know, just really stuck out to me. But before I even talk about them, I think we already talked about how you did a good job explaining the difficult aspects of the story. I think it was really broken down very nicely. And any child that picks up that book 
would definitely understand what the message in the book is. So uh, my next question is, what do you hope readers take away from this book? What do you want parents um, to let their children know? What do you want children to understand when they read this book? I want, I want people to exactly, um, you know, what the book says. It doesn't matter how old you are if you want to make a difference. And Malala is just the perfect example of that. And um, I want people to value education and um, the free, having the freedom to express themselves and to read and write. You know, these are valuable rights that we have in some places, but not, not throughout the world. They are basic human rights, but not everybody's able to enjoy them. So there's that. And there's... Um, Basically, that we should be able to follow our dreams, whatever they are, without threat of danger. You know, when you were reading, and even though I'd read the story, I had a few points I'd written down. And for me, I just feel like if anyone's listening, if anyone's catching a replay, the story really just embodies what we are as parents to our children. And besides the work that Malala's done, and it's funny how when you write a book as an author, you never really know the message that you're not in control of the message that people would get out of the book. And that's happened to me since I wrote my book. I'm, I'm reading sometimes and then someone just picks up an idea that I never thought about. It's interesting that, especially as someone from a background where women really weren't celebrated very much earlier, it's interesting to see how her dad supports her through it all. It's interesting to see that he recognized that there was something special about his child. And as an educator, I can imagine sitting down in front of little children and just having them understand the power and the message that this book sends across. So many times children cannot really express themselves and it's stories in books that give them that much confidence when the adults are not doing what they should be doing. So this is, a fantastic story beyond what we know Malala for. It's told in a way that brings out self-confidence in a child. It helps them to express themselves. It's more like saying, because Malala can do it, and I can do it. And many times we think that children know these things, but when they do not know these things, then it's only a book that brings it to their knowledge. So again, a wonderful, wonderful, well-written book for young children. Um, you. Let's move on to other titles that you have written about. And again, <laughs> seeing as I'm an avid children's book reader, I've got another book of yours. It's Erupt. And I'm just going to share <laughs> a very interesting fact from this book. Something that makes um, books very special to me. And it's the fact on the, um, right at the beginning of the book, number 15, and it says that most lava moves slow enough for people to escape it. Imagine my relief when I read that, especially when we watch movies and it seems as though once a volcano erupts, then everybody around there is doomed. <laughs> so I found a lot of comfort reading that line. So, um, I want you to tell us a bit more about stars and absolute expert space. <laughs> I, okay. I wonder if it has just um, interesting facts like this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad I brought some relief to you with that with that fun fun fact about uh, volcanoes and their lava. 
the, this book has fun facts too. It's called Stars and it starts off, it's written for, first of all, it's written for grades three to five, but of course that's reading level. Interest level, I consider unlimited. If, you know, if you're um, wanting to learn something new, if you don't know how to read it, it doesn't really matter how old you are. Nonfiction books for kids explain so many different things. So if, if there's anything you're curious about, the, the children's nonfiction section is the place to go. So if you're wondering how stars are born and how they die and what happens in between, this book has those answers. It starts off with a true or false question, which challenges the reader to watch for the answer. And it includes an activity, which is how to make a refractor telescope using some household items. Mm. And, uh, and it was lots of fun to write. I love to, I love to write about space because I like astronomy. I love to spend, out, spend time outside and looking up at the night sky and wondering what's out there. So I had a lot of fun with that book, but I'll, I'll go on to the next one, which is also about space. I had a really great astronomy year. It's called Absolute Expert Space. And this book is written for ages eight to 12. It's practically, I have, it feels like I wrote an encyclopedia. It's just got so many facts. I'm going to show you the table of contents. And if you have, if you're, see that you can just glance down because it's very inclusive. So every chapter includes an introduction from an astronomer and that's followed by explanations about what exists in space from the planets in our solar system to what exists beyond our solar system and there's a lot. It covers supernovas, black holes, space exploration, rockets, and the work of astronomers, astronauts, scientists, You'll find out what to do if you want to become an astronaut or explore space right here from Earth. I'll, I'll show you one more. There's uh, this is the um, activity page. So each chapter also includes a tip for naked eye viewing, like how to spot meteors, and also an activity under the heading Space Lab. Uh, on things like how to make a model of a black hole or a rocket or experiment with refracting light and things like that. Awesome, awesome. Um, are we going to see any more of this book or? Um, I, I'll read a bit from court when is this back? Okay. Okay, so I'll, I'll take that slide off. So yeah, I'm just going to read a little bit from Absolute Expert Space. The universe holds everything that exists. It includes stars, planets, galaxies, every form of matter, even matter that we can't see, time and energy. Where does space begin? You look up on a clear night and gaze skyward. Faraway stars and the endless black sky show you the universe is vast. Something speeds across the sky, blinking. It's a satellite reminding you that people are using machines and technology to explore space. So much lies beyond planet Earth. A dark remote location lets you see stars, planets, and the spiraling arm of our Milky Way galaxy. The galaxy contains billions of stars as well as objects you can see without a telescope, including meteors, star clusters, and fuzzy clouds of dust and gas. How can you not wonder what else is up there? Where does space begin? And how far can you see? Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Satellites, robots, and spacecraft help unlock the secrets of the universe. 
Machines of the future will take us deeper into unknown worlds. Why explore space? When you visit a new place, you want to know more about it. You might think, how is this different from home? Can I find things I need here? Is it dangerous? People explore Earth and outer space for the same reasons. We're curious. We want to find things we can use. We need to understand how our universe works. Knowing how objects move in space helps astronomers track asteroids and comets. We need to know how they behave, especially in case one gets close enough to strike Earth. Scientists study distant stars to understand our closest star, the sun, which affects life on Earth every single day. Learning about the universe and building technologies to explore space lead to new innovations that benefit people on Earth. When countries share what they learn about space, people from around the world come together through science. And one last little bit here. There's something in space called a pulsar. And this is about pulsars. It's titled Little Green Men. Today, we know pulsars are stars that emit flashes of light, but when they were first discovered in 1967, nobody knew what they were. Some, some astronomers wondered if extraterrestrials might be sending signals because the lights occurred in such a regular pattern. They called the pulsating stars LGMs, and that was short for little green men. As a joke though, just before discovering that pulsars are a type of neutron star. Pulsars are super magnetic, fast spinning leftovers from high mass stars. Their high energy radiation pulses are close together only milliseconds to seconds apart. The radiation follows the pulsars magnetic fields speeding up and producing powerful beams of light. It's a bit like someone on a hill at night holding a flashlight overhead and turning in circles at the same time. The light is always visible, but it's brightest when it points at you. Lots a little bit from absolute expert space. Oh, you're muted. It says, why explore space? And I think I can already answer that question for myself. If there weren't any space exploration, or if you didn't write books like this, especially this one that has helped me put myself to rest <laughs> with the talk about a volcano, then we we'll probably never ever know about space as much as we do now. And that's very beneficial to us as humans. So again, I'm grateful that the people like you doing this work and making it simple and easy to understand. Now, because science and talk about science can get a bit complicated, I'm wondering what your trick is for making it interesting to young readers. I have a trick where when I go to the library and I find these science books and I look in the pages and they're so colorful, I really want to take them home because I know it will interest the children that I have at home. So what's your trick to make it interesting to young children? Well, you know, it's, thank you. Uh, it's, it's tricky. The dictionary is my friend. I'm not an astronomer. I have to do a lot of research to understand these topics. I'm passionately interested about it. And so I'm, I'm comfortable taking the time to read things and read them over again and again. I have to simplify and I have to keep referring to astronomy dictionaries and breaking things down in, you know, into simpler language. 
And that's basically my trick is that it's, it's, it's serious work, but it's fun work because it's what I'm interested in doing. So it's, um, I guess when, when it's something is your passion, it doesn't really feel like work so much. But the, the trick to make complicated information understandable to young readers is for me to, to think of a child of the age range that my book is for, ages eight to 12. So I when I'm writing, I, I will picture a child I know and I will think, okay, will, will so-and-so understand this? Or I'll think of my children at that age and I'll think, hmm, I wonder if I should maybe simplify that a little more. And, and I keep going and I keep going like that. Truth is, even for adults, when the information is overly complicated, then you lose your readers. So it's very, very important that it's as simple, especially when we talk about science. So there's a lot of talk about STEM and, you know, everybody's wanting to ensure that their children's not left out. And quite interestingly, a few years ago, I taught um, children science, technology, engineering, and math. And it was a fun way to learn science, technology, engineering, and math. And I see that a lot of parents are quite interested in this topic. So your next two books, again, help us to go deeper into the understanding of science in a fun way. Um, why is it so important to you? Why is STEM so important to you? STEM, STEM is so important for, for young readers because a student who is interested in science is going to learn valuable critical thinking skills. Um, a student who takes an interest in STEM topics is going to be more likely to finish high school and go on to further education. So by making science fun, we increase students' interest in science and their understanding of STEM concepts, their knowledge of STEM careers. Uh, we also, with books like this, can increase a teachers' understanding of science topics. And the, the future workforce needs to be scientifically literate to meet our needs and to compete with people from around the world. So books like this or any STEM book gives teachers uh, the information they need to teach science in a fun and, in a, and innovative way and make learning fun and engaging. We don't need every child to grow up to be a scientist or an engineer, but we do need everybody to grow up knowing how to think like one. We need to make sure that people are ready for the challenges they're going to face. And we want, you know, if, if a child has never looked at a nonfiction book and then as an adult is faced with nonfiction information, which is really what encompasses most of our communication as adults, is factual information. People are writing reports and they're communicating facts. It's really helpful if they've seen some before, <laughs> you know, it's hard to just start your adult life thinking, okay, now I've, now I've got to explain things and I don't even know what a subheading is or a caption on a picture. You know, people need to, to see the format of a nonfiction book with headings and subheadings and captions and titles and sidebars and understand how to process that kind of information. Hmm. I mean, that's such a profound statement. Everyone doesn't have to be a science person, but you've got to think like one because I mean, it's going to get you ahead a whole lot more than if you didn't know how to think like someone that, you know, has that understanding. Um, quite interestingly, I think that writing books like this and presenting them in a fun way. Remember how I talked about my trick of going to pick up a book that you know has some idea or science topic, but because I know it's been presented in a way that would appeal to my young child, then it just makes the work a lot more easy. And that leads to the next question, because I'm wondering how you're able to match 
your books so that it fits it ties in with um, schools curriculums because this is like an extension of what is taught in school so if you have a book that expands on volcanoes for example then it makes the learning of volcanoes more interesting outside of you know the classroom so how do you manage to ensure that these two things link well there are, there are a lot of curriculum connections in the book i mean with the malala book there's uh, exploring cultures and community there's also reading and writing skills because the book um all of my books have glossaries and um that's another important nonfiction feature that is good to reference. But um, with, with the astronomy books, there, there's science connections. There's astronomy, sky science is studied in grade six um, in Alberta and many other provinces and other part and in the United States as well, of course. And also there's things like space exploration, um, our environment, our environment doesn't stop at the top of the trees. It actually extends out into space. And so studying space is studying our environment and um, students are expected to have, learn scientific literacy or have, have an understanding of science. And they're also expected to grow an appreci appreciation of wonder in our world. And I think that's, that's what these books do is they inspire that appreciation for our world. I really have to reference this book again because it's books like this for someone like me that's not exactly science inclined. I could pick up a book like this and appreciate the information that comes across from this book. So for sure, I see how that works for a child. You know, if they're having any trouble, just picking up a book that has this much information would definitely put them at ease, you know, from being in that setting where it's like talk and everything feels so heavy on them um then my next question is i know that we're doing this virtually but i also know that you deliver a lot of school visits as expected of authors and library talks do you have any advice to students that you meet when you go for these talks i benefited from them so i'm pretty sure that you have things that would be beneficial to anyone that's listening or you want to share with us some of the things that you do when you're in school visits or when you go for library talks? Oh, absolutely. So I, when, I'm, when I'm meeting students in schools, I want them to remember a couple of things. First of all, I want them to remember to, um, as writers, that you know, we, there's a tendency to write something and go, I'm done. <laughs> but, but a writer who becomes an author or a writer who is effective in any ways is almost never done. You always go back to the beginning and you have to make it better. And a stranger should be able to understand what you've written without content, you know, that sentence or that paragraph should provide all the context so that a stranger can understand your message without having to read it over and over again or ask questions. So writing is a lot about rewriting. <laughs> second drafts, third drafts, many, many rough copies. And, and that's exciting though, because every time you go back to the beginning and you make it better, you can see the difference until you've written something that you can be quite proud of. So that's, that's my advice is, is to always go back to the beginning and see what you can change to make it a little bit better. I know a couple of young children that struggle with writing. So um, I think because I know that children oftentimes make a good connection when they see an author, like a real life author. Have there been any experiences that stand out for you from your school visits? I know that this, this is virtual, but in the past when you've had to go live to visit children, what, ha what has their reaction been like um, 
Are there any things that really just stand out for you? There are, yes. I've, you know, I've had kids that came up to me and said, I've written a book or I want to be an author. Or I've had kids who were sitting there kind of looking around, not too interested, but then they saw my row of books on the table and they said, oh, you wrote that one. And, <laughs> and then they, they put the Play-Doh away that they'd been fiddling around with and they started leaning forward or having, having lots of questions. And it's kind of funny, you know, I, I, this is a time for questions. I know some of you have comments and lots of stories to tell of your own and that's great. You should write them down later, but this is your chance to ask me a question. And then they raise their hands and they tell me a story anyway. <laughs> so I think that's great though, because everybody has stories to tell mm -hmm. and the stories might, they might be fiction. They could be true stories, you know, which is nonfiction still. So uh, I just love to see the excitement of young readers. Amazing. That sounds very, very, very amazing because I know that children definitely love to see these things happen. Um, we're just going to check if there are any questions from anyone that's been listening to us or watching us. And um, while you do that, I'm just going to skip ahead. Um, uh, if there's any questions, that's fine. But if anyone wants to find me online or connect afterwards, my websites are up there and you can find me on social media. Also, I'm part of something new that's called Talk a Book, and this is where families can invite me, uh, just like I would do a school visit, I could do an online virtual visit with a family through this program. It's just getting started up, and my profile will soon be up there as well. Also, I have um, a website where I, uh, with, this is for my freelance writing and editing, and I have a newsletter that I rarely send out, so there's no spam. And... If anyone would like to take advantage of this, I have a special for my book on trees, branching out how trees are part of your world. And you can find out more about it on my website. And also, if you're a writer, I'm offering this book along with a publishing consult where I can help you on your path to getting published. Hey. So now, are there some questions? That sounds very exciting. I don't see any questions. Um, so we're just going to wrap up i'm happy that you told us how we can connect with you i would like to encourage anyone that's listening to please please check out joan's book um i've talked about how i've been able to read some of her books so if you check out her website you definitely find um, ways to purchase her book and she's done such an amazing job doing all this beautiful writing so maybe check out her whole library and find books that she's written as well i hope everyone's had a fantastic time I have, and I want to say thank you again to the Rosa Foundation for making this possible. Thank you so much, Joan, for your time. This has been an amazing time for us today, um, just talking about your books. And in absence of any questions or any comments, I think we're going to call it a night. Everyone stay safe. And yes, please connect with Joan on social media. Have a fantastic Thank you very much, Anya. Thank you very much for hosting Thank me tonight. So it was lots of fun. <laughs> I've had Bye. so much fun as well. Bye for now. Bye-bye.